I always say to people, like, if we still have a constant running dialogue about food in the back of our mind, we're not there yet. It's about where else can all this mental energy go? You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 208. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, veggie lovers, to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today I have with me Jen Trepic, and she is a optimal health coach. So we're going to talk about her experience working with clients. Really great episode with some really great little nuggets that you can take with you and start applying right away. But before I tell you more about Jen, let me remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by healthcare professionals. So if you have concern about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a doctor. So I'm going to actually start with a listener question. This is from Nidhi from India. So Nidhi has written in, I have listened to a few of your podcasts and also watched your videos. I have a 10 months old daughter. She has slow weight gain and I had a plant-based pregnancy. I am also offering my daughter plant-based food. I am a bit confused if a plant-based diet will help to gain weight or should I include dairy products like cow's yogurt, cheese, ghee, etc. Nidhi, this is a great question and I my heart goes out to you because I know how stressful it can be when you are concerned about your child's weight and weight gain. So the first thing I would say that anytime we have an infant, so a child that is under one year of age and they are not gaining appropriate weight, meaning that they are falling off of their growth curve, their weight gain is slowing down, or they're even losing weight, it is very important to make sure that they are being followed by a health professional. The reason is, is because there's a few different reasons that a child may not be gaining weight. The first one is the simplest, which is they're not getting enough calories. For mothers that are nursing, sometimes the breast milk production may go down and you may not even realize it, or they may not be getting enough food or formula if they're on a formula-fed baby. But there can also be medical problems that can cause slow weight gain. There could be chronic issues, metabolic issues. And so it's really important to see a health professional. For children under one, especially for a child that's 
10 months old, the majority of their calories should still be coming from milk. So whether it's mom's milk or formula that's made for a baby, for an infant, that's really what they should be getting the majority of their calories from. So a baby that's not gaining enough weight, I wanna make sure, is it an intake problem or is it a medical problem that might be affecting if they're burning too many calories or not absorbing enough calories, those kinds of things. Your question is, can a plant-based diet be sufficient for weight gain for a child? Well, like I said, for infants, really the majority of their calories shouldn't be coming from food. It should be coming from either maternal or a formula, maternal milk or a formula, okay? For older kids, then yeah, absolutely. But we do have to be mindful for toddlers, especially their tummies are really small. They have really small meals and snacks. So we want to make sure that we are including enough calorie dense foods. Cow's milk is a calorie dense food, but there's plenty of plant foods that are calorie dense. So that's going to include things like nut butter, avocado, coconut, and even grains and beans, you can make them more calorie dense by processing them a little bit, um, making things into purees, dips, smoothies, things like that. So absolutely, you can do it with a plant-based diet. You just have to be mindful of the age and stage of the child. Even for older children, say that it's an older child that is highly active and is playing competitive sports and exercising four or five hours a day, you may have to find creative ways to include more calorie dense foods into their diet, such as smoothies or little protein energy balls, those kinds of things where you're getting the nut butters and nuts and seeds in there and you know, being able to get greater amount of calories in a smaller volume so that they can actually have time to eat all this food to sustain the energy that they need for their sports. So Needy, this is a great question. I just really recommend that you are working with a healthcare professional and making sure that you are understanding what the issue is if your child is falling off of a growth curve, not gaining weight or losing weight. So very excellent question. And for anybody that wants more information on these kinds of issues, I address this in my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. So in this book, I talk about weight loss and weight gain and body size and those kinds of things. Um, so it can be addressed there. So thank you so much. So let me tell you about Jen Trepic, who is today's guest. So she has been described as a quote, force of nature, end quote, in the wellness space. She is an optimal health coach, podcaster, and business consultant. Jen grew up the skinny one in a family of dieters, and so began her weight management saga. Ultimately, though, Jen learned that nutrition education we're all supposed to know, but no one ever taught us. This completely changed her life and allowed her to say she, quote, kicked her food issues. From then, Jen set out on a mission to pay it forward and help people help themselves. After over a decade of working with clients, Jen started Salad with a Side of Fries podcast. Based on science, yet lighthearted, Jen talks about living life while still making ourselves and our health a priority. So we have a great conversation. We talk about her food and body journey, what she means by kicking her food issues. We talk about her thoughts on the complex intersection between health and wellness and diet culture, what optimal health means to her, what are 
the common lifestyle habits her clients struggle with. And we talk about mindset shifts, which I think just are some gold nuggets that she gives out. So I know you're gonna enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here with me. And now let us welcome Jen Trepic. Jen Trepic, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. We're going to have some fun. So nice to meet you and hear about your journey. So let's talk about the beginning. Tell us about your food and body journey, how you landed where you are today as a coach. Yeah. So <laughs> I laugh because I joke that I, I grew up the skinny one in a family of dieters, which was awesome until it went away. And then I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I would say I started to gain weight really between high school and college. So I said, okay, I know what to do because I watched my family do this my whole life. And I tried every diet under the sun, you know, gained and lost that yo-yo pattern. And, you know, it's just frustrating and defeating, but yet that was what I learned. I didn't know there was something else. And even when I first learned about the curriculum that I now teach, I remember thinking, no, 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 that's okay. I've got my thing. You know, like I knew my thing. And I saw people who were following this program and I noticed two things. One was that they were keeping it off. And then the second thing that I noticed was this woman was telling her story of losing like 150 pounds. And I was looking at her and like, I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on her body. So, like, it did not compute in my brain that there was the equivalent of another human attached to her at one point in time. And I remember having this conversation with myself of, like, Jennifer, they know something you don't know. Like, maybe you want to see what that's about. So I worked with a coach, and I really call it the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. And it completely changed my life. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. And so from there, I set out on a mission to pay it forward and help people help themselves. And I started to dig into like, why isn't this what we learned? How did what we learned become that? And, you know, so now it's been since late 2007 that I've been working with clients really teaching this education and evolving. And then uh, August of 2019, I launched my podcast, Salad with a Side of Fries, to really further the mission. And everything I do in the wellness space is about changing the state of healthcare and helping us really reclaim control of our health. Wow, that's so fascinating. I want to take a step back and talk about your childhood, though, because yeah. I know that there's there's a lot that we can probably gain from your experience and the wisdom you've gained from it. I mean, what was it like? I mean, did you get a lot of affirmation and validation um, when you said you were leaner and you were, mm -hmm. sounds like effortlessly and naturally that way around people who were working really hard to try to get that way? So first of all, tell me how it was whenever you were that. And then when your body started changing, how did that feel? Yeah. So I was a dancer growing up. So I was certainly more aware of my body than the average person and aware of where my body is in space. So when I started to gain weight, 
I'll backtrack, I know. But when I started to gain weight, I felt infinitely uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, and and nobody in my family said anything really at that point. You know, it was an awareness, but, and they encouraged me to, you know, try things or whatever, but there, it wasn't like a judgment on that front. When I was younger, and I, like I said, I was a dancer, we always ate lots of vegetables. Like I was a really good eater. It wasn't, um... I think there was probably a time where I didn't eat enough given the level of activity that I was doing. Um, and I do remember one time my mom asking me if I was eating enough. And I was like, yeah, I eat when I'm hungry. I don't eat when I'm not hungry. And then I sort of went through all the activity that I was doing and she was like, okay, you know, and that was that. Um the affirmation I suppose I would get is like when shopping. So going shopping for clothes with my mom and my sister, we'd be in a store and like everything I tried on would look good. That was like the identity when I was a kid of like I had to weed out when we went shopping because odds were, you know, anything I tried on was something that I would probably, you know – want to own or whatever it was. So there was a bit of an identity shift in that. And there's a story, you know, because shopping was this thing, you know, it was certainly an activity, a bonding activity with my mom and my sister. So fast forward, it was going into my senior year of college and I was in the business school and I had to go, I needed like business professional and business casual clothing for these events in the business school. Maybe this was going to my junior year. But so we go shopping and we tried on a couple things. And finally, I tried something on that looked good, you know, that I felt good in. And then I looked at the size and I just broke down in tears because it was this like, I don't, I'm, it was sort of like the affirmation of what I had been feeling. And also sort of thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? Like, I don't even know who I am in this body. I don't feel like myself. And this was sort of like the concrete affirmation that, like, I'm not who I have always felt to be kind of a thing, mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like your family didn't really make a lot of comments on your body. Like they didn't say stuff like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky or look how thin you are, look how lean you are. Did they ever make comments on your body or affirm you or validate you for the size of your body when you were younger? I only think it was like in the context of like, oh, everything looks good on you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then in that same scenario with when I was like breaking down into tears, my sister even said to me, like, don't worry about what size it is. It's about how you feel and what you, you know, mm -hmm. and like how you're carrying yourself and it fits. And like, you'll work on the other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, every, it was very supportive. I think in so far as it was so clear that I was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I'm just trying to 
delve into where you think the root of your discomfort was? You think it was more like a proprioception, just like where your body is in space? Or how much do you think you gathered from society around you or what your expectations of what you should look like, you know? Certainly more of, you know, what we see in social media. I mean, at the time there wasn't really social media, but, you know, what we see in magazines or the news, like the idea Mm -hmm. and who I had an identity around being a dancer and, you know, all of these kinds of things that then, you know, that awareness of like, those things don't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. That was, I think, the hardest piece and the identity of, you know, who am I if I'm not in control of myself and my body and my choices? Because as a dancer, right, how you carry yourself, mm-hmm. the control you have. And so I think that's where a lot of it came from was, you know, shifting this perception. Meanwhile, I wasn't even dancing anymore, but it was still what I grew up yeah. thinking of myself as. Yeah. It was still a foundational way that you saw right. the world and saw yourself. You talk about kicking your food issues. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by kicking your food issues? Yeah. I think I remember times where I would feel like if something was in front of me, the energy with which I ate it or the energy around eating it was like it was the last time I was ever going to see this food in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, or um, obsessing. Always, you know, every diet plan I felt like I tried, all I thought about was what did I eat already? What's the next thing I'm eating? Right? This mental conversation that sort of happens in the back of our mind, whether it's about the positive choices or the less healthful choices, I, you know, in the work that I do now, I always say to people, like, if we still have a constant running dialogue about food in the back of our mind, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. It's about where can, where else can all this mental energy go? So for me, the food issues were how much of this mental capacity was taken up in those food conversations in my own head. And, you know, was I on or off? Was it a good day or a bad day? My mood determined by what the scale told me. You know, all of those kinds of pieces where everything else feels like it's controlling us. Yeah. Do you remember when those food issues started? Was it when you had started to try the dieting or was it before then? Can you pinpoint? I think it was really with the dieting. And when, you know, before that, like I said, I ate when I was hungry. I didn't eat when I wasn't hungry. We always had vegetables in my house growing up. Like I was a good eater in terms of quality choices, you know, and I liked a variety of foods. I wasn't necessarily very picky. But the obsession over my choices personally started when I started to gain that weight and I was trying to follow all of these plans. All of a sudden, I was paying attention to every rule that I was told rather than how I felt. Right. I do recall, so when I was a kid, um, my parents are divorced. My mom was remarried for a time 
And my now ex-stepdad had two daughters. One of his daughters, I think, you know, she was a bigger girl, I suppose. And he would try to control her food. And so there were times where, you know, she wasn't eating dessert, so we all weren't. And I would go in the kitchen and, like, sneak a cookie. Because I didn't have the problem she had. I wanted the cookie, but we were told we're not eating it, and I wanted it. And, like, I would sneak a cookie. So I suppose there were little things growing up, you know what I mean? We're like, that's not necessarily the most healthful behavior, but it was a reaction to the restriction that I was seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It was restriction by proxy. That is so fascinating because I hadn't even thought about that on how controlling one child's food and trying to restrict one child's food might actually affect all the rest of the children in the family. I had never even thought about that. So yeah, that's Super, super fascinating. Restriction by proxy. I think I'm going to have to write this one down. Yeah. So something <laughs> know, else for to parents that to know <laughs> that, um, wow, that's that's super interesting. And I think, you know, in, in digging into that a little bit, I mean, there's pros and cons about different rules for different people in a household, right? Like that's not necessarily what we want either. But it's about, frankly, the choices that are best for anyone are likely the choices that are best for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe starting from that approach instead of the yeah. restriction, it's let's focus on the choices that everybody can participate in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Well, before we talk about, I, I want to know about optimal health because I know that's something that you talk about since you're an optimal health coach. But before we get into that, I want to delve a little bit more into one of my favorite topics, <laughs> which is, you know, diet culture and thin culture. So what are your thoughts on the complex intersection between health and wellness, maybe even wellness and well-being, and diet culture. Do you feel for you, you know, the work that you're doing, that focus on weight loss could potentially detract from a client's ability to sustain habits and behaviors that support to support health and well-being? Or do you feel like it like it depends, it doesn't matter depending on the clients. Like I would love to hear your experience on our obsession with body size and the number on the scale. I love this question. So I want to preface it by saying when I talk about it, and especially with my clients, my emphasis is always health, energy, confidence, sleep, stress. The weight or the change in weight is a byproduct of the other things. I also call it weight management because the other side of all of this is that we do see that metabolic health is directly tied to overall health and, you know, symptoms and illness and things like that. So I always come from a place of health is our objective And whatever number that looks like is different for every person. Our objective is not a number. Our objective are all these other things. When I use the phrase weight loss or in, you know, things where that's the phrase used, it's more because that's the phrase other people use. But once someone's in these conversations with me, I never use that phrase. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm hypersensitive to this obsession. Like there is a fine line (laughs) between, you know, caring and getting in our daily workout because it helps us feel amazing and getting in our daily workout because if we don't, we literally look in the mirror and think we are fatter. You know, so I think my place in this industry is focused on shifting this conversation and helping people understand all of that. The industry is probably one of my biggest pet peeves, (laughs) you know, and I say that from inside the space. I mean, you know, the way it is contextualized is part of the problem. Yeah. It's hard to to exit it though, you know, because it surrounds right. us and the weight loss industry is nearly $400 billion industry. Right. And whenever there are surveys that are showing that people are willing to give up a few years of their life to be a certain body size, that's what people want. That's what people are attracted to. So I really appreciate your transparency and your honesty in saying that, you know, that's what gets people in the door because that's what everybody wants. But it's about helping people learn that when that's our main goal, it does change how we do our habits and behaviors. It changes the way we make decisions about our life choices, you know? It's just such a subtle thing, but it's also very, very complex. So I appreciate hearing your thoughts on that. Thank you. And I'll say to somebody, look, if your objective is to make the number and the scale change, you don't need me. You could find any diet plan, program, fad, pill, anything. You can find anything out there that will make the number and the scale change. The questions I ask are, how long-term is it and how healthful is it? If those things are important to you, then we'll talk. Yeah. And being immersed in the kind of world that we are, it does take deliberate action and practice to sustain some of these habits that help us feel good long-term you know, keeping one foot in front of the other. So it is valuable to work with a coach, you know? Well, tell me, speaking of coaching, what does optimal health mean to you? Why are you an optimal health coach? Yeah, because I think sometimes our society talks about health as, well, I'm not on prescriptions. I haven't been diagnosed with anything. But optimal health is living every day with energy and vitality and waking up rested and able to do the things that you want to do in this world. It's so much bigger than just the absence of sickness, illness, and disease. In my house, we love sauces so much that we keep a bin in our fridge labeled the salsa party so we can more easily grab it out of the fridge and have it along with our meals. So I was thrilled when I discovered a new delicious all-purpose sauce called Bernie Wild's Adventure Sauce. Y'all, it is so good that we consume the first bottle in less than a week. It's not as spicy as a hot sauce, but it has more depth and flavor than your typical condiment. Of course, it's plant-based, but it's also creamy, a little bit smoky, and a little tangy. You really have to taste it yourself to fully experience it. I pour it all over my bowls, tacos, and sometimes I just want to stick a straw in it and drink it straight up. If you want to experience this adventure sauce for yourself, you're in luck. 
It's called Bernie Wilde's Adventure Sauce, and you have a good reason to grab yourself a bottle or two right now. My listeners get 20% off their first order of $20 or more and free shipping. Just use the code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I. Follow the link in the show notes or go to berniewilds.com. That's B-U-R-N-Y-W-I-L-D-S.com. After you taste it, I want to know what you think about this sauce. Do you love it as much as we do? Go get yourself a couple of bottles of Bernie Wilde's Adventure Sauce right now and get your 20% off and free shipping by using code Dr. Yami. Enjoy! Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. And it's a little bit of like an Eastern Western thing, <laughs> right? But um, there's so much more than just not being diagnosed with something that we can tap into and help our body. I think a lot of times we get in the way of the body doing what it knows how to do. And it's also a pattern of and a practice of relearning how to pay attention to our bodies. Yeah. That intuition, that tuning in, being attuned to what's going mm-hmm. on. And I call it too, the difference between surviving, which humans are really good at. That's why there's almost 8 billion humans yes. on the planet. We are very good at surviving, but it's not the same thing as thriving. There's a lot of things you can do to survive, a lot of different ways to survive as a human. Exactly. <laughs> but thriving exactly. takes a little bit more deliberate action and thought and trial and error, you know? What are the most common lifestyle habits that you feel your clients struggle with? (laughs) Um, It is black and white thinking. Yes. Number one. (laughs) You know, and everything almost comes down to that. Right? This is a good food or a bad food? Tell me, is this on the plan or off the plan? I had a good day or a bad day? Right? And our objective, that black and white thinking is very much the dialogue in the back of our head that won't be quiet. Living in the gray area is the objective. And like I sort of think of it too, in my elementary school classroom, there was a chalkboard that went all the way across one wall. And above the chalkboard was like the alphabet left to right, you know, A to Z. And I sort of think of it where People come to me and their pendulum swings A to Z, right? It was a good day, a bad day, on, off. This food is here, that food is there, right? We have this pendulum swing. It's also impossible for a pendulum to stand still. And we think that we are supposed to be perfect, (laughs) right? And have this pendulum, you know, Go straight down, which does not exist. Our objective is to get to a place where that pendulum swing is just narrower, right? Where we're sort of going like K to O, in the middle, 
back and forth, bop and weave, making the best choices we can in any given situation based on the options available. And all we can expect of ourselves is our best in any given moment. I love that. That's phenomenal. And I say this all the time, that life is not static. Life is dynamic. It is changing minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, month to month, year to year. I mean, it's constantly changing. And we have to expect that life is going to ebb and flow. And sometimes life throws us a huge whopping curveball, you know? And right? <laughs> nobody loves that. Nobody loves that. But whenever you're practicing sustainable habits and behaviors, just like you said, you can... You can adapt. Maybe you're off course a little bit, but in your brain, you know how to get back on course instead of beating yourself up and saying, oh, F it. You know, I'm never going to do this again. You just get right back onto your path. Just get right back onto your path, you know, even when life throws you a curveball. But you're right is that all or nothing thinking, that perfectionism that keeps us in the nothing way more than in the perfect all. You know, like yeah, it's like exactly. 10% perfection, but 90% you're just not doing anything at all. You know, so if you just stay where you're like 50 to 75% doing the best you can, you're probably going to make more progress overall in your sustainable habits and behaviors. Exactly. And I even talk about it like I don't, I encourage people eliminate the word cheat from your vocabulary that yeah. doesn't exist. It is all just choices right? And a lot of times people will say, oh, I find my balance with a cheat day. And I gently point out that if we have a cheat day, it's not balance. We have black days and we have white days. Exactly. You know, that really, and even on a very practical biological factor, our body is better equipped to handle the occasional spike in blood sugar than to have these very controlled situations and then a day that is completely out of control. Mm -hmm. That is much harder for the body to manage and recover and function properly and ideally than a little bit here and there over time. And we just keep going. Yeah. It reminds me of the statistic about how there's so many binge drinkers, a lot more binge drinkers than you would realize that, you know, they're not drinking at all. And then on the weekend, they just let loose and just have a ton. Yep. And then what happens? You have this massive hangover. You can't function for like an entire day and it throws off all the rest of your habits. So you're right. It's better to try to stay consistent, even if it's an imperfect consistency, rather than white knuckling it and then having this weekend where you're just like all off track and you can barely get get out of bed, right. you know, on Monday and morning. And how much beating ourselves up do we do on Monday morning when we're like, right? Then our healthful choices are almost like a punishment for the choices that happened over the weekend. And it's like, that's also sort of a twist in this thought pattern that we want to straighten out a little bit so that it's more supportive and productive and healthful. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. 
A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Well, this is probably related, but I want to know what mindset shift can help someone work towards a new lifestyle habit with less resistance and more ease. So speaking of this all or nothing black and white thinking, how can we start to think in a way that makes us able to pursue new habits and behaviors without feeling like it's going to be like this really hard, white knuckling, miserable experience? So I love that you use the phrase white knuckling because I use that all the time to talk about willpower, right? Like we feel like we're constantly holding on by our fingertips. So I sort of think about this with two factors and in two ways. One is a framework I call the bullseye of change, which I'll talk about in a second. And the other is about really understanding what willpower actually is, right? So willpower, or we could think of it as self-control, is a finite resource in the body. So I sort of talk about it like it's a refillable cup. There are certain things that drink from this cup and certain things that refill the cup. On any given day, for everything we have in our lives, we have one willpower cup. Every decision we have to make from what clothes are we wearing today, to what time am I waking up, what time do I have to be out of the door, to, you know, am I eating this or am I eating that? Am I, you know, and then maybe in the course of our lives, we're making business decisions, right? Any choice comes from that willpower cup. All of those choices drink from this cup, right? Stress is almost like dumping it out, you know? (laughs) But... So this willpower cup is very easily depleted. The things that add to it are proper nutrition, right? Managing our blood sugar. So we actually have to have blood sugar and, you know, insulin to have willpower. And so especially when it comes to our food choices 
and trying to control all of that, we've been told so many times, eat less, move more. Well, we eat less, we have you know, low blood sugar, then we're trying to white knuckle our way. We actually need the food in order to be able to make a quality decision about food. And then it feels like we're climbing Mount Everest naked and barefoot to try to not stop at, you know, Dunkin' Donuts on the way home from work to get the 50 cent donuts because it's the end of the day. You know? So one piece is understanding the the pieces that refill our willpower cup. And studies show that those who best use willpower use willpower to set up systems and habits, not to make individual decisions. And then when we talk about habits, so the bullseye of change is sort of like a three-ring bullseye. So like if you had like three concentric circles, the outer ring are our behaviors, The next step in are habits, right? Repeated behaviors become habits. The center of that bullseye, the bullseye, is our identity. And so we can sort of work this framework both from the outside in and the inside out. So the outside in is, you know, maybe it's, we want to have a quality breakfast every day, so I make sure that I, you know, have hard-boiled eggs, or I make sure that there are overnight oats ready to go, or right, there are some habits in there. We have those behaviors. The more we do them, they become habits. And eventually, we go, I identify as I always have a quality breakfast in my day. That's just who I am and part of what I do, right? The other way of working from the inside out is to say, what's the identity we're looking to create? Right? So maybe the identity is, I move my body every day. Okay, well, what are the habits of somebody who moves their body every day? You know, well, that activity is a priority. Maybe the habit is that it happens at a few different times a day, depending on the day. It maybe isn't so static. Maybe it's, you know, it's planned into the schedule. Right? Other people are aware of the schedule that's needed to make sure that that activity happens. Okay, what are the behaviors? Well, I got to talk to people around me. Maybe the behavior I'm focusing on is just figuring out what I'm going to do so that that doesn't become an added decision. Maybe the behavior is I'm just focused on setting my gym shoes next to my bed so that it's the first thing I see and I think about in the morning. It's a lot easier to just think about the shoes next to the bed than to try to be like, I I move every day. I move every day. I move every day. I like to exercise. And then going, I hate to exercise. I like to exercise. I hate to, right? So we can break it down into these smaller pieces. And each person might have a whole bunch of different bullseyes, right? We might have one, like I said, for breakfast and one for activity. And maybe there's one for, you know, nights with friends. And there's one for holidays, and right? All these different bullseyes of behaviors and habits that we're working on. And then the other thing about it is that it's very fluid. So today, we might feel like we got this, right? My activity happens every day, like clockwork. I don't even have to think about it. And then 
life, <laughs> right? We're at that identity piece on the, on the activity and then life happens. Maybe we move. We change jobs. Something, right? Something else happens. And now all of a sudden we're like, wait, I got to mentally go back to that outer layer and rethink the behaviors to reestablish the habits. It's not so static. And what I like about this framework is that it helps us understand that it's always a work in progress and we're always figuring it out. And it, again, it goes back to that it's not perfect thing. We're just practicing and figuring this out each time. And at different points in life, it's going to look different. And it doesn't mean that you screwed things up. It doesn't mean you failed. It's that all of a sudden, you know, life hit us on the side and we got to rethink some of the things that we had set up before. And that's all totally fine. I love that framework so much and it makes so much sense because you're right. If we depend on willpower, especially living in a dynamic world where a lot of us are under a lot of stress, sleep deprivation, raising kids, <laughs> career changes, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. pandemics, you know, then, totally. then we're not going to be able to make progress. So um, I always talk about how the beginning, when you're setting up these new habits, it seems a little bit more difficult because you're doing something new, but over time it becomes easier and a habit is really something that you should be able to do on autopilot. It's not taking that extra brain energy. It's not taking that reserve you have that you have to use for all the other things in life that you have to make decisions on. You have no choice. Exactly. So setting up those behaviors, which become habits, which the more you do it, that's just who you are now. You know, this is how you identify or taking it backwards and being like, what do I want to be? And that's what I love about coaching is that you can take your clients and you can start there. All right, who do you want to be in a year? How do you want to feel? What do you want your life to be like? Right. Really embody that feeling. All right, in order to get there, what do we need to start setting up step by step by step to where you get in the year and your identity is, I love vegetables and I love to move my body and I love to go to bed on time, <laughs> get you know, adequate exactly. restorative sleep. And then that becomes your identity. And it, once it does become your identity, then I think it is easier to shift with the changes that life throws at you and adapt your habits so that you can maintain that identity because the identity is such a strong thing, you know, but it does evolve. It evolves over time. But I love that. That's really great. And one thing that I caught when you were talking about how you go back and, you know, you adapt things, I call it life editing, which I kind of stole yes. from Greg McEwen um, from his book. And going back on a periodic basis, whether it's, you know, you're going through a particularly rough time or you just do it on a regular basis every month, every quarter and say, okay, what's working for me? What's not working for me? What do I need to shift and adapt? And looking at it, from a place of curiosity and experimentation rather than judgment. Like, oh my yes. gosh, you're so horrible because you stopped working out. You're, you know, there you go again. No, it's more like, oh yeah, what happened there? Why did that happen? And how can I tweak that so that I stay with that habit so that I can continue to, you know, live out this identity of, I love to move my body regularly. You know, that's great. Exactly. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? 
join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week, but that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you wanna join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Uh, this is really incredible information and just so practical. What do you wish more people knew? So the willpower piece is a big piece, right? <laughs> um, I wish more people knew it wasn't calories in, calories out. Look, at some point, you can't eat any less in a day or move anymore, right? If that was the answer, we wouldn't have the problem we do in our society, in our culture, in this diet industry being $400 billion, right? If if that's what it was, we would have all had this figured out, right? The reality is, so eliminate calories in, calories out. Replace it with quality in, quality out. Get up and move more. So I think that's number one. <laughs> uh, I think number two, when it comes to exercise and activity, I wish people understood the importance of muscle more than they do. I think cardio for weight management is one of the biggest myths out there, right? To improve our metabolic health, to improve our metabolism, we need metabolically active tissue, which is muscle. You know, so I think those are two. <laughs> uh, and the third thing I wish people really knew and understood is that there is nothing wrong with you. You didn't fail. You haven't screwed it up. You were never taught this. None of us were really taught this in a way that will allow us to find health ourselves and help the next generation, our kids, achieve health either. And that's why we're here and that's why we're doing this. And you haven't failed, right? Every diet program out there has failed you because their motive was not the same as yours. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, we're humans. And this is the way the human body was built. The human body was built for survival, like we're talking about. And we're really good at that. And we yeah. are in 2022 in an environment that uh, is not necessarily the environment in which our genes were selected for. Yes. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah, we're doing our really lifestyles <laughs> have evolved way faster than our biology. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really a fascinating thing, actually, to just look at it and what's happened. We are the product of our own success of, of survival. Yeah. But I think a lot of people take it that you're right. There's something wrong with me. I don't have enough willpower, um, whatever it is. But really, we've created this whole society because our bodies work the way that they do. So it's like right. super fascinating. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, take it to you a little bit. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, 
my morning routine. So it's funny and it's shifted. Talk about like this bullseye of change, right? Like that morning routine has shifted dramatically from when I worked for somebody else and had my business on the side to working for myself. Uh, Right now, my morning routine, I am working on, you know, both with morning and evening routines, making them happen at the same time every day. (laughs) We're all a work in progress, always. So these days, I'm really waking up usually around 6.30, and my skincare, I wash my face, I brush my teeth. It's a little bit of me time in the morning. Um, I listen to uh, either an audiobook or a podcast or something that feeds my brain. I take my vitamins, and then I go, okay, what's, you know, what's happening with this day. I typically start with a workout. I do happen to do quite a bit of early morning pieces. So sometimes there's a little work that happens before my workout. And so breakfast sort of depends on whether I'm working first or working out first. Um, Personally, now that we're working out at home, if I eat first and there's a lot less time between eating and that activity, it doesn't sit well for me. Like I'll go down to do a push-up and it it might get risky. So (laughs) there are certainly some days where, you know, my proper breakfast nutrition is happening after my workout. Um, But I do get something in my system typically within an hour of waking up and then onward, right? But it's sort of that mental, physical, emotional on-ramp to my day. Yeah, I love it. That sounds so great. And I agree. I'm a morning cardio person. I like to do my cardio fasted because it feels the best to me. So I try to get it in before I eat. And if I can't get it in before I eat, then my workout's going to have to be pushed to the afternoon because otherwise yep. it doesn't feel good to me. I feel heavy and right? there sluggish. There are some days where I'm like, yeah. or I'm like, this just doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> but I can lift weights right after I eat. I just can't do my yes. cardio. It's weird. It's But definitely if I try to do weights fasted, I cannot lift a thing. It's like my body's like, eh. <laughs> like <laughs> my muscles don't work. Okay. Right. What personal yeah. habit and are you most proud of? Do you want me to do why? nighttime? Oh, yeah. If you want to, yeah. Do, you, do okay. your nighttime routine. So nighttime is, by the way, like I said, I'm working on it happening at the same time. I have an alarm in my phone that goes off every day at 1045 that says, stop what you're doing and get ready for bed, right? <laughs> Sometimes but we how, need how often? How often do you actually uh, just stop it and ignore it and keep doing what you're doing? <laughs> That's the question. Um, for years, right? <laughs> like I'm back in a phase of paying attention to it. Nice, <laughs> right? nice. Um, but so it, I, um, before bed, I take uh, – some stuff for immune health and detoxification and um, calcium and magnesium to support health. I take a little CBD in there. So I do that sort of routine, wash my face, brush my teeth, um, get in bed, and I have my gratitude journal on my nightstand. So every night I'm writing five things I'm grateful for from that day. And then I fall asleep to a guided meditation, typically. Nice. So that sounds that sounds so good. I love it. But yeah, I I hear you on the ignoring the alarms because there's somewhere I've had to like (laughs) stop them for a while so that I can reset and actually 
hear them, you know, because after you've been ignoring them for so long, it's like your body's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to snooze that and not do that thing. Yeah. So I added to the alarm a post-it on my computer that says go to bed at 11. <laughs> nice. A little extra. <laughs> It'd be nice if we could set it up so that everything would just turn off. Like the electricity would just go off and we had no choice, <laughs> oh you know, like that would be one we couldn't get like around. Like caveman era, right? Sun went yeah. down. You were done. <laughs> that was it. All right. Well, I'd love to know what personal habit you're most proud of and why. Ooh, I think learning. I am an insatiable student. And the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. I think um, being a student for life and of life has served me more than probably anything else. Mm -hmm. I agree. I love it too. I'm addicted to it. It's my favorite. I love the novelty of learning new things. It's like it never ends, right? And there's so much to learn about. And ultimately, it serves us and it serves our clients and patients and family because the exactly. more we learn, the more we can share that knowledge. So that's awesome. I love it. Well, Jen, this has been great. Before I close up with the last question, I would love if you can tell my listeners where they can connect with you and what products and services you offer. Yes, of course. So podcast is Salad with a Side of Fries. Website is asaladwithasideoffries.com. All social media, I'm at Jen Trepek, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. I work with clients individually and in small groups. My signature curriculum is 12 weeks. My objective is for you to not need me. So this is not like, oh, I'm signing up till the end of time. It is, you know, we're going to use 12 weeks to teach you everything you need to know to go on and live the rest of your life. I also have a membership with the podcast that's only $10 a month. So if you want to dip your toe in the water a little bit, we've got you covered. I love it. No, I love the title of your podcast too, because I think all vegans, um, can relate to yes. salad with a side of fries too. <laughs> Sometimes that's the choices we make at some restaurants, but I know you mean it in a different way, but I just thought that was funny. For all of us, right? <laughs> all right, well, I would love it if you could leave us with one final tip for busy parents. How can they support eating habits, not just for their children, but also for themselves? Because I know that parents are very focused on their children, but sometimes they leave themselves for last. And then that's, you know, when they start experiencing yeah. this time in their life where they're like, I need to work on me. So if you could give us a tip for busy parents, supporting healthy habit and healthy eating in general, that would be great. Yeah. So one of my favorite things when I'm working with kids and families, the biggest tip I can give everybody is what I call fridge first. Food is found in the fridge. So whenever we're hungry, we go to the fridge first, right? Teaching our kids fridge first. You want something to eat? Fridge first. What's found in there? And then maybe we're adding some, you know, complementing that with something that's found in the pantry, but food is found in the fridge. Interesting. So what do you mean by that is that food is fresh, like real food. Is that kind of what you're trying to get at? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yep. I like that. We focus on nutrition, right? We're going to find a lot more, but it's easier to talk to a kid, you know. It's easier for my nephew to understand foods in the fridge. The fruit snacks in, you know, the pantry are not necessarily our best food, 
right? So if yeah. we start in the fridge, we go fridge first. As yeah, as long as they don't start putting the goldfish crackers in the fridge, then we're right. Yeah, <laughs> you might have to watch that one. But yes, <laughs> I could see some kids getting around this somehow. But no, I like that. That's a great concept. I mean, yeah, that's definitely a different way to think about it, especially for little ones that may not be able to grasp the concept of whole foods and what the difference is between a whole food and a processed food. I love that. That's great, Jen. And it doesn't create. You know, I'm I'm hypersensitive to like creating food issue, you know, not creating food issues, things like that. So it's a really nice way, I think, to help encourage everybody toward quality nutrition. Yeah. I love it. Without, you know, yeah. Without, yeah, trying to set up food rules, which is – exactly. It's one of those things we have to navigate and and be very um, deliberate and thoughtful about. But just like you were saying before – Everybody's doing their best. So I don't want to scare parents into thinking that, you know, like there's nothing that is permanent. You just do the best you can. When you learn something, then do better. But it's not something that you have to worry about. Just do your best and enjoy feeding your kids and feeding yourselves. So Jen, this has been really great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the work that you do with your clients and helping them reach the well-being that they desire. I appreciate you and I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Well, thank you. I just appreciate all you're doing and everything, you know, for your listeners and just happy to be here and support. So thanks for having me. That was a really good episode. My takeaways from this episode are that Willpower is a finite resource, and some days you're gonna run out of it in the morning, right after you get up. So we cannot depend on willpower to sustain our habits and behaviors that we wanna have for the long term. I love this bullseye model that Jen presented to us because it just really helps describe it, especially if you're a visual person and you're seeing this bullseye. Your identity is in the center of everything, but the way that you get there is through setting up these habits that you are doing consistently, not perfectly, but consistently. And that starts with the action of setting up goals to do the behaviors. So you have to actually perform these behaviors for it to become a habit, for it then to become an identity. But you can also start from the identity portion and work backwards to create that life that you want. So those are my biggest takeaways from this episode. I just, I love that model and I hope that you're able to reflect upon it this week and see where in your life do you want to make an identity shift or where have you seen your habits leading to the identity that you have now that you value. So thank you for sticking with us. I appreciate you listening yet to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio, and I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.